0: Well, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 1, and as I've announced earlier, uh, over the next four weeks, I want to spend all of our time in our sermons for these next four weeks in John chapter 1. We're going to look at the same 18 verses every week because I want you to understand the gospel. And so, over the next four weeks, I'm going to preach four sermons on the gospel. And this ver, these passage, or this passage, is to me one of the most important, uh, concise summations of the significance of who Jesus is and what He has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection that he brought for us. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to read this each day or each uh, morning for our Sunday morning sermon, and then I want to give you a different aspect of the gospel. Now, uh, if you are not a believer and you're here today, uh, maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've heard the word gospel thrown around, or maybe you've come this morning and this is the first time you're hearing the word gospel other than maybe you've heard it in the term southern gospel or heard it in the uh, on the tv from time to time i want you to understand starting today what i mean what we as christians mean when we talk about this word gospel because i think we we think of it you know you hear somebody say the gospel truth, or uh, it's the gospel, and we hear people talk about as preachers or uh, evangelists on TV or whomever. We say, you know, you've got to be believe the gospel to be saved. Well, what do we mean by that? What do we mean when we say you've got to believe the gospel? What do we mean when you say here the word gospel in a sentence? Well, I want you to understand what that means from Scripture by reading First, uh, re- reading John chapter one verses 1 through 18. So let's read that together today and then I'll pray and we'll get into my sermon. So first, let's read John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for the work of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this eternal Word of God who came to live among us, to live as the full and true human. And He lived the life that we could not live and He died the death that we deserved. And he rose again for our justification. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who has not believed in this gospel message, that through the preaching of the word today, you might change their hearts to turn to you. Lord, I pray for those who are discouraged, those who are struggling with sin, even though they have trusted in you, that they would be reminded of the hope of the gospel, that it is not resting in themselves, but resting in the work of Jesus Christ. Father, bless us now, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to ask, just as a point of survey, how many of y'all have ever seen or know what I'm talking about when I refer to the Hans and Franz skit from Saturday Night Live? Anybody seen that? You can do the Baptist hand raise, it's okay. Um, Some of y'all have seen it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. In the 90s, there was this skit that Saturday Night Live did where these two men... Would come out dressed in these absurdly uh, oversized muscle suits. And they were Hans and Franz, and they were kind of mimicking or, or poking fun at the exercise videos of the day, you know. And they would come out and, and they would speak with these German accents, kind of poking fun at, at Arnold Schwarzenegger or Russian accents, and, and they would say, We're here to what? Pump you up, right? And, and so around that same time, I was a teenager and I was coming up through middle school and I would started to work out because I wanted to put some meat on these bones and I had gotten to where I was making some progress and I was getting built up pretty good and, and that summer of, I think it was my 8th or ninth grade year, we went to church camp and I spent a week in a dorm room with two, three other teenagers. And my church had the tradition, uh, TK may remember this, I don't know, but my church had the tradition when we went on youth camp that at the end of the week we would stop and eat at a restaurant and, uh, um, and the teenagers would all give each other awards. Now these awards were tongue-in-cheek, they were sarcastic, they were kind of poking fun, but you could never do this today, but uh, back then in the 90s we could still do that, but uh, um, But they they would kind of poke fun at something that they had picked up on somebody in the week. And well, I received the Hans and Franz Award from my fellow teenagers. And the reason was, is because I had started to build a little bit of a physique, I could not resist a mirror. You know, and and especially, especially when I was getting ready for Bible study each day in this dorm room with all these other guys... I would take up the bathroom for an unreasonable amount of time just sitting there flexing and preening in the, in the mirror. And so these, my roommates picked up on this and they passed the word along. And I received the Hans and Franz Award as a bit of a roast and a, a little bit of chiding, you might say, because I had spent so much time in front of the mirror that week. But you know, truth be told, we all... Have an image of ourselves. We all have an idea of what we look like—not just in out on our outside, but what we look like internally. What people view of us, uh, how people perceive us, and not just that, but we have an image of what we want people to see. Lord, if there ever was a time when this is true, it's true in the age of social media because uh, Instagram has filters that you can put on your face or on your, uh, uh, on your uh, surroundings to make yourself look younger, to smooth the wrinkles out, to make the, uh, the landscape look better and all of that. And, and we obsess over the way people perceive us. Our society puts a great deal of emphasis on our self-image. Disney movies tell little children that they can be whatever they imagine themselves to be. Celebrities encourage us to find our sexual identity. Politicians play identity politics, cutting uh, our society up into social and racial and economic Group so that they can bet, uh, better motivate one group to be pitted against another group. We are encouraged to find our quote true self, as, as the saying is also often floated there is none uh, like you in all the world. So be yourself, find out who you are, seek out and pursue and, and define your true identity. Yet we can't just be who we are we find that it doesn't matter what trend comes along it might be a rebellious trend it might be a, a way to stand out as a, a as an outsider but you give that trend a few years and everybody will be doing it I came up during the generation of the hipsters. I don't know if y'all have heard of the hipsters, but in the '90s, the hipsters became popular as a as a rebellious or an alternative movement in New York. Because in the '80s, the popular thing were the yuppies. Y'all have heard of the yuppies? They were they were uh, young professionals who were uh, busy on Wall Street. They wore suits and ties, and they shaved their face, and they they uh, they you know. Bought all the latest technology and they were big on whatever was the latest trend and, and, and fashion. And the hipsters were a reaction against that. So instead of shaving their face, they grew long beards. And instead of wearing a suit, they wore flannel. Now y'all understand me a little bit better, right? Uh, and instead of buying the latest thing, the latest gadget, they bought vintage products like record players. And so it it was a rebellious act to uh, react against the current of culture and and the times. But the interesting thing is that it didn't take long for this rebellious subculture to become the mainstream. And just the other day, I was in Walmart and I found something interesting. You know, you no longer have to go to some urban, uh, off-the-beaten-path store to find A vinyl record anymore. You can just go to Walmart and buy a vinyl record now because this once subculture, this once alternative subculture has become a part of the mainstream culture of my generation's time. See, we might think that we can define our own identity, but the truth is humans were made to bear the image of another. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, at the height of his creative work, God declares, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. We were made to be defined by God. We were made to reflect back his glory. We were made to take his likeness, his image into all the world. Yet in one act of rebellion against God's creative purpose, our first parents, Adam and Eve, sought to define life by their own terms. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, Satan tempts Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit by telling her that she can be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the temptation of the forbidden fruit was that Adam and Eve could be like God without God. It was a temptation to do things our own way, to define life by our own terms, to find our own identity apart from the way that God had made us. And the fall <coughs> broke something in humanity. And this is self-evidently true. In It's interesting that in a society like ours that encourages people to be individuals and encourages people to find their own identities, encourages people to blaze their own path, that at the very same time that that messaging has grown in our society, you can literally lay a line over the trajectory of that individualism with the suicide rate in our country. As we have promoted individualism and self-centeredness and selfishness, at the same time, the, the suicide rate in our country has skyrocketed. We encourage young people to pursue their sexual desires wherever they might lead. And if it leads to pregnancy, then just get an abortion. But women who get an abortion, this is rarely said, but women who get an abortion are 80% more likely to struggle with depression and anxiety. We encourage gender fluidity, saying that you can be free to move between genders or just deny gender altogether, but yet transgendered people are 20 times more likely to commit suicide than their mainstream counterparts. We encourage people to shake off the social norms of marriage and to uh, pursue whatever love interest you might uh, want. We endorse divorce for any reason. And yet children who are raised by single family homes are 30% more likely to be lonely and dissatisfied with life. It is manifestly apparent that we cannot define for ourselves what it is to be truly human. So how are we to know what it means to be truly human? Today I have... Good news for you. God has defined for us what it means to live the way he intended. He has done that by breaking into this world and living among us as fully human. The Apostle Paul, I mean, the Apostle John begins his gospel by telling us that this word was fully God even to the point of participating in the creation of the world. Now, by speaking of the word, John has in mind the defining ideal, the word that defines the way things should be. So think of this like a mold. I don't know if you've ever seen something metallic or something plastic that's made Typically what they do is they take that metal or that plastic and they have a mold that they have made that has the definition of that cup or that bowl or that ring in it and they pour that plastic or that uh, gold or silver or whatever into a hole in, in that mold and that, that uh, plastic or gold cools and makes the cup or the bowl. Now, that mold is not a cup. That mold is not part of the thing that is made, but it defines what that cup will be. And that cup cannot help but be what that mold forms it to be. So in a similar way, this word that is God defines all of creation, but he is not himself a part of creation. Yet there's something scandalous that happens that John tells us. It's so scandalous that every other religion in the world denies that this can even be a thing. Yet in verse 14, John tells us the word became what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. This word that defines all things, that is not a part of its creation, that isn't defined by its creation, this word that gives light and life to all things, this word became identified with that which it defines. In Jesus Christ, the God of the universe came to us to be like us in every way. Understand, you will not find that in any other religion. The God of Islam would not dare to touch His creation. The God of Hinduism calls us up to it, but it will not come down to us. But the God of Christianity has done what no other God has promised to do in coming to be like us in every way. So, in Jesus Christ... The God of the universe has come to be like us and notice in verse 18 he says the only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known Jesus came to us so that he might rightly reflect who God is because of the sin of Adam we are broken image bearers because of our own sin the pursuit of our own way of living, we fail to reflect back the glory of God. But Jesus, in His perfect life, lived as a true human. He perfectly reflected back the glory of God. He did what Adam and what we have failed to do. And in doing this, Jesus also reflected to us what it means to live as a true image bearer of God. Jesus, as the true human, did what we could not do so that we might be redeemed from our brokenness. But instead of receiving Him and celebrating Him, the world hated Him. The people of Jesus' day looked at the perfect image of God reflected in Jesus Christ and they rejected it. They despised it. They plotted to destroy it. And in one terrible act of rebellion, broken men and women who wanted to live life by their own terms took the true Son of God and stripped Him bare. They beat Him beyond recognition. And then after they had torn and ripped his image, this image-bearer to shreds, they hung Him on a cross for all the world to mock. While He hung there, suffering to death, suffocating to death, They spit on and mocked him. They gambled for his clothes while he labored in his breathing until he had breathed his last. And then they placed him in a tomb and they put 12 Roman soldiers in front of that tomb to guarantee that this true human would never come back again so that they might live by their own way. That they might continue to live in their self-centered lifestyle. But on the third day after his death, Jesus rose again from the dead. The stone was rolled away from the tomb and Jesus walked out fully alive. But not just fully alive, renewed and remade into the glorified Son of God. And this resurrection wasn't just a miracle for Jesus, but it is a promise to us too. So that everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ has the hope of resurrection too. You see, it's not just about believing that Jesus did those things and rose again from the dead that gives you the hope of eternal life. But believing that He will do it for you too. That He will return to make all things new. And in that promise of all things being made new, you are included. So Romans chapter 6, verse 5 promises, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Now what Paul means by, this, by that is this. You have to die to yourself to live like Jesus. You have to die to yourself to live like Jesus. You have to give up, or as we in Christian circles call it, repent of your self-centered way of life. You have to give up in pursuing your own identity, seeking to define your life by whatever the latest fad is or whatever you feel at the moment. And you have to turn to Jesus in faith, which is to trust that his life is the true way, that he defines what it is to be truly human. You have to trust that the life with Jesus is greater than anything this world can offer. And so, this morning, I invite you to surrender to Christ today, and to find your meeting, your meaning in Him. And what I mean by surrender is to come. Down this aisle here in just a moment, we're going to sing a closing hymn, what we call an invitation. And quite literally, that is your invitation to respond to this gospel message, to recognize that you are a sinner, that you have pursued your own way of living and that you need to turn from that, to repent of that and to follow Jesus and the way that you follow him is by confessing before men that you trust in Him and that you want to be a part of His kingdom, that you want the life that has meaning and purpose and has an eternal significance. And trust to have your faith placed in Jesus Christ, that all of your hope, all of your your meaning is wrapped up in the promise that He will return and one day make you new too, and calls you to be resurrected from the grave as well. If you want to receive Jesus today, I I hope that you will respond in faith today as we sing this closing hymn, that you will come and trust in Him and make that uh, faith known to this congregation today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of response, Lord, I pray that You would continue to work through Your Spirit to call people to Yourself. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that recognizes that they have pursued meaning by their own standards, or maybe they just really don't know what meaning is in this life. They're lost and without purpose, wandering around without a direction. Lord, I pray that you would uh, compel them to come, that you would, through your spirit, help them to understand that it is only through Jesus Christ that they can have true meaning and true purpose in this life. That He is the Word that defines what real life is. And I pray that they would respond in faith today. Father, I pray that You would move among us and work as we respond to You in this song. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.